Tony Football Show today. In a podcast already rendered hopelessly out of date by the breakneck pace of the modern game, we talk managers. They're dropping like flies on a lemming trapped in a car with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer at the wheel. We ask, has yours gone yet? What did all that weekend football mean? And just what's going to occur when the Premier League reconvenes for midweek action? All that and much more in this totally football show in association with Paddy Power. Monday morning, listener, and joining me here in our exciting state-of-the-art studio, we've got Michael Cox, Mr. Zonal Marking. Hi, James. Hi to you, Michael. Uh, Daniel Story's in from Football 365 and the now evil eye. Yes, good morning, James. Good morning to you. Also here, Emma Saunders. Emma, you weren't well recently. No, I wasn't. But you're better now. Yes, in health, I'm much better. Good. All With right. regards to my football club, not so much, All but right, we can yeah. get into that. Emma, as long-time listeners will know, is the voice of Vicarage Road and host of the Five Live Football Daily podcast. Hello to you all. Hi. A crisp December morning that sees us two managers down from when we last convened here in the Totally uh, Football studio, but uh, we've got a couple in in the meantime. Already we've got one in, so uh, Freddie Lundberg in at Arsenal after the shock dismissal of Unai Emery on, on Friday, and then going this weekend... Kike Sanchez Flores at Watford. Now, Emma, mm. how's it going? The search for a new manager, Emma? Is it going well? Uh, as far as I know, um, as club stadium announced, though, Jim, unfortunately, I'm not that in touch really? with the board. Do you not yeah. think they'd run that by you? You're the person who's going to have to read that name out. In front I of actually had someone tweet me in 11 a few weeks ago while I was playing left back. Uh, and a couple oh. of people did tweet me yesterday and say, are you in with a child with a manager's job? So nice. who, who knows? I could be getting a call to head to London Colney this afternoon. How do you feel about uh, poor old Kike <laughs> Sanchez Flores? Uh, let's just check on that. Uh, one win in 10 league games in two and a bit months. There's six points from safety. And you went a goal up away at Southampton and then ended up losing 2-1. Yeah, uh, I have to say, sadly, I'm I'm not surprised or relieved. I mean, no one wants their team to have more managers sacked than games won this season. It's not an ideal situation to be in. Mm. It might seem harsh, but you have to remember... A new manager, it might take a few games to bed in. He wasn't a new manager. So automatically, you know, the levels of patience, the threshold is going to be slightly lower. Um, and let's not forget, it was one in 10 Premier League matches that he'd won. And I think at any other club, if a manager was experiencing that kind of form, question marks, you know, questions would be asked as we've seen, you know, with Emery at right. Arsenal, who was winless in seven. Yes, Watford aren't as big of a club, but they were aiming for mid-table this season and their bottom. Well, some were asking that question from the moment he was appointed, like you, Michael. I did think it was a strange one. I mean, they seemed to fall out quite badly towards the end of his first stint, so it just seemed a weird decision to get him back, especially at such an early stage in the season. And I can't really see anything he's improved. I mean, the one win was against Norwich. OK, that was a big game because it's, you know, second bottom, but they're second bottom because they're not very good. So this is a side that, you know, I think should be relatively comfortably clear of the relegation zone. Well, the logic to bring him in was to shore up defence. And to an extent, he has done that. The trouble is, in the process, he's also now compromised the attacking threat slightly. Which attacking threat did he Exactly. Well, they're, oh, Jimbo. Well, no, because Troidini, Troidini the attacking threat's been sat on the bench. The attacking threat that got us mid-table, you know, the last couple of seasons, FA Cup final, it's there. These players haven't changed. So okay. they're, they're still there. I, They're just been I, struck I, by injury and... I think, arguably, stamped a little bit by the style. I was at the last home game against West Ham before Gracia went, and, and going forward, they were really good. Daily mm. Fellow and Gray were so good together on the break, and they were creating lots of chances, and now they're not creating many chances. You're hanging on for Silver to become available. Ha, 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 ha. Is that right? I don't know, Jim. Very <laughs> <laughs> um, did you know that 10 teams have had three full-time managers in one season? Not counting caretakers, but full-time managers. How many of those managed to survive? Uno. Mm. Can you name that example, yeah, Daniel? It's, it's Swansea. All right. Who were their men? Oh, it was when they brought in. So uh, Car- I think it was. Was that be Carvajal, Guidoline, and no, no, Guidoline, Bradley, and Clement. Do you know what? This sounds Clement. like a really entertaining game. Would you like to try a name? Possibly not now, but at the end of the show, the if I give you the nine other clubs who've done it. And you see if you can name their three full-time managers. Yeah, That's we'll, be we'll have to do it quick, quickly, yeah. We'll do it at the end. Michael will do it as the quiz professional. Let's give our listener a time to Google it and then we can... Uh... But anyway, OK, so that's Watford. And uh, there you go, six points from safety, Emma. 
Yes. See, they're not, they're, not, they're not completely cut adrift. I mean, my, my opinion, though, is probably skewed. What do you two think? The problem is that it's like Southampton. If you have this master plan and you're really a, a really well-run club, which Watford were, there's no finan- without financial you know, backing and there isn't loads there, there isn't the security, there isn't the insurance against those repeated mistakes. And they, they flunked the summer by not signing enough defenders, I think. And, and Flores' problem is you either make them resilient at the back by making them pretty hard to beat, but that completely stymies everything in the final third. So I just don't think they can get the balance right. If they appoint Chris Hewton, which it looks like they might well, that would, I think, probably be one eye on the championship next season to right. say, look, let's get it. He'll talk up staying up but if you look at the clubs immediately outside the relegation zone I don't think Everton are going down I think Graham Potter's a good manager at Brighton I think Villa look far better than Watford at the moment it's probably the same with Newcastle's because they can defend and then then you're up to teams that are already 10 points clear Exciting times Emma and presumably you're going to get yourself a new manager soon because you've got a game coming up at Leicester Yeah the small matter of, of the King places. Power on Wednesday Damn alright not available is Freddie Lundberg because he's taken over at Arsenal. Let's have a quick sting and do that. You're listening to the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Listener, Friday, after Arsenal's disastrous Europa League defeat to the boys from Frankfurt, the Gunners decided to dispense with the services of Unai Emery. They will still qualify from their group. Unless standardly age beat them by five goals. So as you said, Michael, it could be close. But Emery won't be there at the helm if they do so. He does leave them with a good record, but unfortunately it's this one. Press, 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 press. Emery wants more press. But his team can't hack press. Playing out from the back mess. They caught David Luiz, but they passed the Gwen Doozy. Mistaken identity. Good evening, Mr. Emery. London drill artist VXMP breaking down the tactical issues with the Emery project. Uh, This move long overdue? Yeah, I think it was inevitable. I mean, he lost the faith of the fans some time ago and it seemed he'd he'd really lost support in the dressing room as well. And on the pitch, it was just difficult really to work out what the plan was. You know, this is not saying anything new here, but he was chopping and changing the system every week. He started talking about, you know, pressing, as we've just heard, and playing out from the back. But those two concepts haven't been particularly apparent in recent weeks. And it was just a kind of, yeah, a lot of nothingness, really. And I don't think there's a, I don't think there's anyone, really, who can make a case for why he should still be at the club. What was interesting, you were saying afterwards that, that you thought his worst performance as a manager was actually a game they won at Vicarage Road last season. It was a really strange game where Arsenal were given a 1-0 lead and a one-man advantage by Watford mistakes inside the first 10 minutes. And then that was a game for Arsenal to basically just be in control, play their natural game. And Emery spent the whole game chopping and changing system. He went from a back four to back three, back to back four, trying to respond to Watford. And it was like, you know, this is the kind of game where you can fall back on your plan A, but it just seemed like Arsenal didn't have one. There were some good bits, though, Daniel, like the run to the Europa League final, for example. Yeah, they they won 10 games at the Emirates in a row last season. They beat Napoli home and away in the Europa League. But to be honest, though, you know, those bright sparks now only serve as pretty unflattering comparisons for what's happened this season because the the reality is that in your first season as Rodgers did last season you work out what works and you build on that in the second season it feels like whatever worked last season has been completely lost evaporated over the summer when actually they did reasonably intelligent bits of business they did they didn't buy the center back they needed but mm. you know they did buy players they want and emery seems to be incapable of fitting even those players into the teams well as vxmp points out later in that track he managed to not win the title at psg which is essentially you know a, a one team league mm. and he still didn't win, win the title which is a bit of a mark against him but he's not but he's been a tremendous success notably severe. So why do you think it is that he got it so wrong, that he that he lost the plot so much in this second season? I don't think the language thing helped. He's clearly not a particularly good communicator. He wasn't a good communicator in front of the media and we're led to believe that the same is probably true in the dressing room. I don't think he's really an inspirer. I don't think he's a man motivator. And he... The, the reality is that that leaves him as a tactician and he got his tactics wrong. So he didn't really have an awful lot to fall back on. Right. Well, the final act was a desperate 2-1 defeat uh, by Frankfurt in front of a two-thirds empty Emirates. Who saw the first game of the new era, the bright new dawn under Freddie Lundberg? Anything noticeably different in their performance? 
I was actually surprised at the team Lundberg picked. Normally when a caretaker manager like that comes in, you see he sort of plays the hits and leaves out the players who have been most criticised, obviously criticised by fans. But actually, Lundberg picked them. He picked Mustafi for his first Premier League start of the season. He picked him alongside David Luiz. He picked Granit Xhaka in midfield. And they still look really, really open to any sort of counter-attacking threat. I didn't think... Nor- I thought- Arsenal were the better team for long periods, but they didn't, almost like Everton actually yesterday, they didn't make it count when it mattered and then they seem to get punished for the mistakes they make. It's not a great combination. Yeah. I'm, I'm wondering though, with those team selections, as bizarre as they might have seen, whether Lundberg has seen them in training, knows something we don't know, and then maybe just thought, right, this is last chance saloon. This is an opportunity to put these two in, in, in Mustafi uh, and Xhaka and, and see what they can do. And actually, Xhaka did have one cleared off the line. Mm. If he'd scored and Arsenal had gone on to win that game, Lundberg could have been the hero. You know, it could have been very, very different. I'm just wondering, though, whether if he picks them again, I'm stumped, absolutely stumped, but whether he just looked at the opportunity and thought, here's a chance to see if these two can reinvent Mm. themselves a little bit. Who'd be the first player you'd drop, Michael, if you were taking over at Arsenal? Well, I don't know if it's necessarily about dropping players. Really? I don't think Emery necessarily played the wrong players, Mm -hmm. with the exception of Ozil, who he left out for too long. It was just he didn't have a plan. You know, there, there was no, there were no relationships between players. There were no combinations across the pitch that you thought were really working well. But if you were to take Emery's average eleven from the season so far, I think it's probably roughly what what he should be doing. So with the right tactics, this Arsenal team, as it is, should be able to. Well, let's remember, there's been a lot of chat about how Arsenal need transfer windows and stuff. But I remember doing this podcast, I think, the day after the transfer window closed, and we mm. all agreed they'd done a, a great bit of business to get in Tierney and, and David Luiz. And lots of people, myself included, revised our predictions from probably finishing fourth to maybe finishing above Tottenham. So this isn't a squad that is massively undermanned. I think it's a squad that just doesn't have hasn't had clear leadership uh, from the manager in terms of the the actual approach on the on the pitch. So that's what the new manager will have to bring in. I don't buy this idea that it's a, a dreadful squad, but just a squad that was performing pretty dismally for large. Um, they started well. Would that be fair at Carrow Road? But by the end, there was they really had Burnt Leonard to thank for. The, the yeah, fact that they uh, didn't uh, get defeated. And I think there's been a few games like that, actually. I'm not sure Leno's been a great signing, but I think there's more games than a lot of people think where he has actually saved Arsenal a point here and there. And, uh, yeah, made a couple of good saves here. Nice. As for Norwich, all the hits. Pukki, Cantwell, Tim Krul as well, although, you know, they, they retook that penalty, but still. Mm. Yeah, the, the the penalty for encroachment, which is a new VAR-era-inspired um, offence basically never got called before but the reality is is that players did get told at the start of the season that they shouldn't do that and, and Norwich players did do that So Canary Mark is is asking uh, can you clear up the encroachment rule mm-hmm. if Aaron had not cleared the ball would the penalty miss have stood? Yeah the players hadn't interfered with play right? Yeah, then it wouldn't have stood and it's only a, a defensive um, offence so if the ball had you know if, if Aubameyang had scored the first penalty the fact that players had encroached wouldn't have made any difference All right. what I thought was interesting was the difference in quality between the penalties the first one was as bad a penalty a bad on target penalty as you'll see and the second one was just unstoppable <laughs> yeah. it's bizarre do you think it's because Tim Crew wound him up so much for the second one maybe yeah, Maybe. it was venomous. Mm. It was personal. I, I, I felt Pookie's now reached seven goals. That's as many as any of Norwich's players scored in the entire season. Last time they were up in the Premier League, mm. they're two points from safety, and they face Saints, the team immediately above them, mm. on Wednesday. What do you think, Emma? Well, any fancy football enthusiast will probably be quite keen to put Pookie back in their team if he's not already with those two uh, matches on the horizon. So oh. he's out. He's out of that dry spell. Um, but whether he can keep it up, we'll have to wait and see. But a good opportunity in those next two. Absolutely. More of that kind of thing in our uh, FPL podcast out uh, Friday morning. Arsenal at home to Brighton on Thursday. We'll talk about Brighton later on. Arsenal fans, in the meantime, jealous of that lot down the road who've been busy enjoying their third straight victory under their new manager, one Mourinho J. Spurs with a 3-2 win over Bournemouth, moving them six points behind Chelsea. So that's what already five points they've They've caught up. Mm. Crikey. And uh, Chelsea, of course, in fourth place still at the moment. But you can't score three goals to win every week. No, they are. I wrote after the Champions League game, they feel very un-Mourinho-like at the moment in that you know, we remember, it, it was a long time ago, we remember when he first went into Chelsea and they just, you know, they became a defensive 
rock. I think they conceded seven goals in his first 11 games in charge of Chelsea. Uh, and they're, they're kind of this chaotic team at the moment, which probably reflects the problems that Mauricio Pochettino was, was having, that if Mourinho is unable to go in and immediately shore them up, it probably speaks a lot about either the system or the, the form of individual defenders. But he's getting a tune out of Deli Alli or getting more of a tune out of Deli Alli. And, and they are scoring in threes and fours, which is negating the problems at the moment. The, right. the, the Manchester United game on in Wednesday is obviously is huge for Tottenham, is huge for Manchester United, but is particularly huge for, for Jose Mourinho because we know him well enough now that even thinking about his celebration at full time in the win <laughs> makes us giggle and smile. Um, it, will be a, it will be the Mourinho hits if they win. Fantastic. Um, Matt Davis-Adams, who's presumably too cheap to just call, Mm. Uh, tweets in saying Bournemouth have lost their last three and have now won one of their last eight in the Premier League are the Cherries in danger of being relegated this season? No with, he asked that because he was on a show with Michael and I when he predicted them to go down and we um, rubbished his claims and I'm not speaking for Michael but I am continuing to rubbish his claim okay. I think they're fine they'll finish 12th or 13th But this is the thing with the Premier League I mean it's there's so much mid-table I mean Bournemouth are four points off relegation but they're also four points off fifth place Mm. So there's so many teams in there that are not out of danger, but you'd say probably won't go down. Currently six points off the bottom three, but a whopping eight off the top four are Man United, who hosts Spurs on Wednesday night. It's so exciting, isn't it? It's Solskjaer, as I mentioned back at the start, a lot of talk that he this could be last chance saloon for him. A little bit of perspective here. Emery's win percentage at Arsenal was 49%. Solskjaer's at Man United currently riding at 27.3. Latest setback, that 2-2 draw Sunday at home to Aston Villa. Yeah, I don't know what Manchester United are really expecting. I don't know why anyone thinks that this might come good under Solskjaer. They, again, a little bit like Emery, they just don't seem to have a real plan here. Um, I can't really see many partnerships that are working particularly well. I don't think they have a great approach without the ball. In possession, I think midfield, as we all know, has been an issue. There's there's just a lack of creativity from that zone. Uh, yeah, it was just another kind of standard Manchester United performance, really. And um, yeah, there's been a, a few too many of those games, but uh, I'm amazed they're still in this state with Solskjaer. I enjoyed the Villa goals. Mm. It's been a good week if you're an Aston Villa fan. I think they've had four points now in the last two games. Dean Smith's been offered a new contract. Mm. So, you know, whilst we might be um, sticking the boot in Ole Gunnar Solskjaer... Right. I think there should also be a certain amount of praise for Aston Villa. Well, let's give it to them, Emma. What would you like to praise most? (laughs) Probably their spirit more than anything. I do think, you know, with their squad, they're probably in about the right part of the Premier League table, but I do think it's their spirit that is going to keep them up. Jack Grealish obviously scored the first goal, and Villa fans have got to be annoyed about his not being in the England squad. It's a bit of a manufactured crisis in that he was injured before the international break and he missed the game directly afterwards but Southgate does have a decision to make because he in form he is he's playing better than Mason Mount is at the moment uh, he's probably playing as well as James Madison is at the moment right. um, it's just whether he feels Grealish likes to dominate the ball he likes to run the tempo of the game it's whether he thinks with what win a 4-3-3 whether it's worth getting in a player that does that but on form he should be in the England squad and he's not even playing in his best position at the moment he's said before he doesn't really like playing on the left of a front three he likes being in midfield but Conor Hurahan's done really well in midfield recently so to have him uh, Hurahan uh, McGinn and Grealish all in the same side it's a really good team to watch Aston Villa I still think that they sometimes struggle for goals I mean I don't think a Grealish long ranger and, and Tyrone Mings are going to be kind of regular sources of, of goals this season. And you want to see a little bit more from Wesley, who actually contributed to Manchester United's uh, second goal as well. But they are a good team. And, you know, a lot of people have said there isn't a great amount of quality in the Premier League this season. Well, it depends how you look at it. Obviously, there's not once you go past the the top three. But I don't think there's many really bad sides as well. And Villa are kind of, you know, a team who came up. A lot of people criticise them for almost overhauling the whole side. But actually, they play really good football. And you look at the team's down there, you know, Villa and, and Brighton are only, what, three points ahead of the relegation zone. Whenever I see Villa and Brighton, they look really good teams. Mm. So, you know, to go back to, we were chatting about Watford before, it's it's not necessarily just how bad they are, but I think they will have to do quite a long, uh, qu- do quite a lot to overhaul some of these teams. All right. Do quite a lot, do you think, in the January transfer window? Not necessarily, but I just mean that they there's no Fulham and there's no Huddersfield this year, basically. So, right. so it is competitive at the bottom. Okay. Tyrone Mings with a wonderful equaliser. Enjoyed that. Yeah, yeah, he's he's better than he's better at 
attacking than defending at the moment, I right. think. He's a funny one, Mings, in that people seem to really, really like him, but he seems to be one of those, perhaps because he's left-footed, but also players seem to... People seem to notice him, which people see as a compliment to a defender, but isn't necessarily a compliment <laughs> to a defender like Mings, I don't think. Right, OK, I, I get you. Anyway, so that was Aston Villa, and that was praised tick. But yes. Man United taking on Spurs this time around. They do have a good record at home against Spurs traditionally. What are the odds? How would they approach this game? How can Oli stop that, that nightmare scenario that, that Daniel was out, outlining of Mourinho celebrating wildly on the, on the touchline at I think full these time? Are, I actually think these are games that Manchester United probably look forward to in that they've already beaten Leicester at home this season. They've already drawn with Liverpool away. So that's the top two. Mourinho will know that Manchester United want to invite Tottenham onto them and then expose them on the counter. And he's, you know, he's not foolish. He'll prepare for that threat. But it kind of feels for the team like a nothing to lose and that everyone's expecting them to, to flunk again. Obviously for Solskjaer, it's nowhere near that because if they do lose, I think he probably will get sacked. I'm Jose Mourinho. I know a thing or two about being special. Getting a road named after you in your hometown, special. Winning the daily jackpot on Paddy Power Games, not special. Understood, Jose. Yes, someone wins an average £40,000 jackpot every single day. So if you win, don't think you're special. Daily Jackpots by Paddy Power Games. Jackpots must be awarded by 11pm and vary from day to day. Jackpot is shared with other operators. Available on selected games. T's and C's at paddypower.com. 18plusbgambleware.org. On Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. Managers under fire. Look at this, Marco Silva. Late defeat at Leicester, the game you guys went to. We'll be talking about that very shortly when we touch on the Merseyside derby. But Manuel Pellegrini, meanwhile, whose position had been brought into question by West Ham's recent form, bouncing back with a shock win at Stamford Bridge. How shock? Well, it's their first victory at the bridge, Emma, did you know, in 17 years. Mm. And West Ham's first win in the league since September. Boom. Wonderful scenes. David Martin in tears at full time. I know. Football can be so cruel so often. But that was a nice reminder of the romance, mm. wasn't it? It was. And he's had, what, like 16 years or something to think about that moment. And apparently he hadn't eaten properly for the two days leading up to it. So no wonder there was such an outpour of emotion wow. um, at the end. But it, it did seem the back line in front of him as well did raise their game uh, ahead of this match. Because I'm not taking anything away from David Martin in that performance. But I think... There was only six shots on target from mm-hmm. Chelsea in that entire game, which you know says a lot about the performance of the unit in front of him too. Well, he looked a, a, an upgrade on the on the previous <laughs> incumbent. Yeah, I mean, I think I could roll a dice, and anyone in this room could have been an upgrade on Roberto. It is interesting to see how how much difference a goalkeeper makes, not just to his saves, but also the defence in front of him. But West Ham just looked bothered. Like we, I was at the game against Tottenham last week when they should have been intense Mourinho's first game in charge they should have been pushing and they just you know missing 50-50 tackles they didn't look particularly hungry to win the ball back or protect the defence and they just looked like they stepped it up which hopefully for Pellegrini shows that they haven't quite given up his ghost yet Okay. As for Chelsea was it just one of those games? I think so it's a really young side as we all know and I think a couple of players here particularly Mount and uh, Reese James who've both been excellent when they've played so far this season just weren't quite at it I mean that said they did um, I mean they did really dominate the XG 2.7 1.2 suggest they did have the chances so uh, yeah one of those days I wouldn't read too much into the defeat that stat that was brought up Sunday evening about them not committing a single foul in the course of the game is that true yeah apparently so and I think it was only the second time since Opta began collating such uh, mining that, that data d- d- does that matter should it be a worry does it mean that they just play such a tactically pure game I wouldn't read too much into it but really? it's a curiosity mm. certainly there's a... a lack of aggression it seems to speak of slightly no? yeah but if you're winning your tackles then yeah. that's fine right. I think it's one of those where the scoreline kind of dictates your take on that if they go and if they if they take their chances and win 2-1 then no one talks about them not making a foul right well they do they say it's a great thing <laughs> yeah <laughs> Fair. Anyway, Chelsea remain in fourth place with that comfortable six-point margin on Spurs. Now, all sorts of drama Saturday lunchtime at St James's Park. Newcastle are hosting Man City. Do you remember last season, Emma? 
Man City turned up. Newcastle only had, I think, 29% possession and only two shots on target. But they scored with both and ran out 2-1 winners. This time around, City restricted them to 24%. Crikey, 24% possession. They had three shots and they came away with a 2-2 draw. Wow, indeed. That's extraordinary because Steve Bruce, who, you know, we talk about managers under the fire, back at the start of the season, he was... Numero uno. He was the one who everyone thought was going to be first to drop. I know. The man can't catch a break either. Um, I think we're all wondering when he'll completely start to win over uh, the Newcastle are they fans. Not, are they not behind him already? Well, oh, on and off. It seems like he can take two steps forward, one step back. With that uh, defeat against Aston Villa, I think after that, again, it was Bruce out, Bruce out. But huge point this time against City. Surely, surely this has got to be enough. They're set up, obviously, to play well on the counter. They've already taken, I think, they've taken like double the amount of points off the big six as the bottom, the teams below them. The difference in having two players on the counter, not just Almiron, the fact they've got right. Almiron and Sam Maximan, both of them beat players so often, beat good defenders, dribble past good defenders. I think it just makes a huge difference that they've got two threats. It means that the defence can't really just, they can't just leave one player up front and the defence can kind of mar, defense can marshal that one player. Mm. Having the both of them, Sam Maximan, I know Michael's talked about him before, but he is wonderful to watch in that there's nowhere, there's absolutely no end product basically, but in relieving the pressure against a team like City, it's absolutely perfect because he beat Carl Walker. When he said in the left, he beat Carl Walker time and time and time again. And I think Walker's clearly thinking, well, I need to get, get the ball and get back up to midfield. But Sir Maximan's better than that. And he just kind of embarrassed him mm. two or three times. Wow. I mean, the weird thing about Newcastle is the sources of goals. They're yeah. just getting so many goals either from defenders or from long-range strikes, as we yeah. saw here. And uh, again, they didn't create many clear-cut goal-scoring chances. But... Uh, they, they keep on managing to, to Jet, scrape the wins. Jetro Willems is their left-back, who's been injured for a bit. He's a joint top scorer, and he scored against Manchester City and Liverpool with long-range strikes both through his right foot and his left-footed. So it is a, an odd season. And I think that's part of the reason why Newcastle fans are a little bit reserved. They, they aren't big into Bruce, that's absolutely true. And I think if this was Benitez getting the same results, they'd be far happier. Part of it is that lingering resentment that Benitez was allowed to leave and Bruce was given money to spend that Benitez didn't get, yada, yada, yada. Um, but on pure, you know, on purely based on results, he's doing a fine job. Okay, Almiron got an assist. He's first at Newcastle. Shelby got a screamer at the end. Kevin De Bruyne blasted one in. Woof. And Sterling got his fifteenth of the year. Is that the calendar year? It must be season. Season. Is he on fifteenth? All comps. Yeah. In all comps. And Sterling got his fifteenth of the season. Man City, all in all, had twenty six shots. So uh, a large part of the praise for the point goes to Dubravka in goal for the Magpies, no? Absolutely. And nothing impressed me more. I don't know if anyone else picked up on this, but he got to Shelby first in the celebration. So (laughs) on on top of, you know, having a huge amount of instinct, you know, and skill in goal, he's obviously very pacey too. Wow. As for City, Casper Young asks, are City worse in in an attacking sense this season as well as defensively? Seems like they aren't as incisive at times. Or uh, are there poorer results simply down to defensive issues? It feels like a little bit of everything at the moment, which is a cop-out answer, but it just feels like little things are going wrong. And it's remarkable. You know, I was, I think we were all at the cup final, the FA Cup final. Where, and at that point, you struggled to wonder how anyone could challenge them this season. Liverpool have been brilliant, but City have been so far off their pace of last season. I think it's just a little bit of everything. I think the Laporte injury and compounding the lack of central defence with purchase in the summer has, has hurt them but there are just a few players like Walker and Rodri and both Silvers and even Aguero before his injury who just aren't quite at the level of last season I think I agree I think they're missing Sané as well not necessarily just for his individual contributions but what he gave to them tactically always stretching the play down that side when they mm. played with him and Sterling there were just sometimes goals they scored and you think well how on earth do you manage to stop that and now with Bernardo or Maros in the front line Maros has done okay at times but a different kind of player all right, well, this Tuesday they're going to be away at Burnley uh, without Gundogan, who's suspended for that game. Uh, Tuesday night we'll also see Bournemouth at Palace. Palace who had a 2-0 win away at Burnley, as it turns out, uh, this weekend, with uh, Wilfred Zaha scoring his second goal in two games. Yeah, I thought it was quite an interesting goal. He started the season playing on the right, Zaha. I don't really like him on the right because I don't think he can really cut inside and shoot. He was playing on the left here, and it was very obvious that uh, Phil Bardsley was trying to shift him onto his left foot, which he did and then scored. And I just don't think of him as a player who shoots with his left foot, but he did very well there. I think 
slight concern from Burnley will be the nature of the goals. I thought Nick Pope could have done a little bit better on both of them, to be honest. Fair enough. Oh, they're taking on Man City on Tuesday night. On Wednesday, all sorts of action. Uh, we mentioned Man United taking on Spurs, but there's another absolutely huge fixture coming up that evening, and we'll get onto that after this. Is it Chelsea-Aston Villa? Well, no, although that could be quite nice. Leicester-Watford also going at it on Wednesday. You've got Saints-Norwich, Wolves-West Ham, fresh from their draw against Sheffield United. But uh, most of all, you've got Liverpool-Everton. Oof. Last season, decided by this moment. Alexander-Arnold, one last serve. Comes out of Van Dijk and more time. Oh, Pickford's lost it! David Carigi! Unbelievable! It's a miscue by Virgil van Dijk and Diva Carigi has come from the bench and has won the derby for Liverpool. That was Liverpool-Everton last season. Virgil van Dijk, the score of two goals against Brighton, of course. Unlucky on that occasion and wheeling away in disgust after his failed shot in the 96th minute. But there was a surprise in store courtesy of Jordan Pickford and Diva Carigi. Wow. Do you know, Everton haven't won at Anfield in the league since HSBC were called Midland Bank. Interesting. Hmm? Do you remember that? No. Kevin Campbell, was it? I think. Uh, I'm not sure. Well, I think that was an answer in the optical. It was. Oh, was it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah? Ah. Nice one. 27th of September 1999, that was. Mm. Now, it's a derby, so anything can happen. Correct. Except an Everton win. (laughs) I... I beg to differ. Right. I want to stick my neck on the line here. Wow, Emma. Are you going to tell us the Watford manager? It it, <laughs> it, it just wouldn't shock me if yes. Everton gets something out of this. All right. I just think in the game against Leicester, it's obvious these players are still playing for him. And that change to three at the back did seem to make a bit of a difference, certainly um, in terms of setting a blueprint for maybe getting past Leicester. So Marco Silva can techni- uh, tactically get it right. And the thing is about Silva, it seems like every single time we think he's on the edge of losing his job, he does seem to pluck out a result this season. It has happened before. Mm. So you've got that to bear in mind as well. And also, Southampton, I think, have Norwich this midweek. So if they do win that, Everton will drop into the bottom three. So it's a bit do or die now for Silva. So in some ways... I don't know how much pressure he's got going into this. I, it just it wouldn't surprise me if they get something out of it. Interesting. You guys have just seen at the King Power Everton in action and undone by that late goal uh, from Iniacho. Do you would you, do you do you agree? Do you see a manager there who's still got something to offer the club? Well, what I would say is that compared to some other under pressure managers and underperforming teams, there was no sign that Everton weren't fighting for it. I thought it was a really resilient, really dogged performance. Okay, they lost at the end. Um, the issue really is is the actual quality, the technical quality on the ball and the combination play. But I was quite impressed with with how much Everton were up for it. Right. Uh, I know that should be the min- minimum you expect, but it certainly hasn't been the case at you know Spurs and probably Arsenal in recent weeks. Mm. Yeah, the, the one the one way they can trouble Liverpool is. And it, it is a do-or-die approach, but the fullbacks are their best. Luca Dean's been good this season. I thought Sadebe was good going forward y- yesterday. Uh, he crossed for Richarlison's goal. So that maybe just trying to pin the Liverpool's fullbacks. You know, it, it could easily go badly because I don't think Sidibe is a great defender, and I don't think Dean is as good defensively as he is going forward. But they might be able to just fight fire with fire and tell the fullbacks to bomb on and try and pin Liverpool back. But yeah. Yeah, the technical quality, as Michael says, is far lesser than Liverpool's. But yeah, I, I thought they would get hammered yesterday at Leicester. I really did. Mm. And and they did seem more together than I expected to find them. I don't know how to change my at, says, has there ever been a greater example of a player faking injury to waste time, Sidibe, causing an additional two minutes of stoppage time, meaning the opposition go on to get the winner in the time added on to time added on? It was also, it should be said, I know we don't want to talk about VAR, but it should also be said that Jordan Pickford was incredibly unhappy about the fact that the linesman flagged for offside and to be honest it didn't cause a noticeable change in Everton's defending they didn't stop playing right. but if the flag goes up in their minds yeah. something changes obviously Inacho then scores and then they go to VAR and it's a 
millimetre or whatever on side. So Jordan Pickford was fuming about that. No, I, I completely understand mm. his point. Silver wasn't, though. Up. Silver wasn't. Silver's had this same statuesque pose of just arms folded, staring at the pitch right throughout these grim results. And I think that's part of his problem is he doesn't sell himself as a as someone who cares, as someone who is kind of feeling this decline, feeling this grim set of results. And I think that's probably going to be the end of him. And also in fairness, I realise it's different with VAR, but there's always been some situations where the linesman may have flagged and the referee doesn't necessarily whistle. So you have always had to play to the whistle. Right. That's what we were taught as uh, kids 20 years ago. So fair play, Silver didn't use that as an excuse at all. Okay, well... uh... This Wednesday, they'll be facing a Liverpool side that's fresh from their victory over Brighton. But they won't have the services of Alisson, will they, because of his red card? Yes, they won't. But they will have, I'm sure by then, the much warmer feet of Ah, Adrian. Right, OK. Yeah, after the game, well, I thought they were bizarre comments, but I think Klopp was literally saying he had cold feet. I don't think there was any metaphor there. So Adrian Um, came on after Alisson rushed out and handled the ball outside the area. And Adrian comes back on. And but then didn't particularly. There was this shine. bizarre set piece. Yeah. Well, I mean, they'll put Bryson will just feel it was quality. It wasn't bizarre at all. Um, but talking about it after the game, Klopp said actually Virgil Van Dijk was given man of the match, but really he would have given it to Adrian hmm. because after he'd come on and got over the fact he had cold feet and um, cold hands, he made two really good saves. But I think some people wondered whether he literally meant cold hands and cold feet or it not. It was cold. But it was cold, yeah, I literally. Think, I think that's what he means. I think they should have hand warmers now. Surely right. they should have hand warmers. That, that to me is, and I, I like Liverpool and I like Jurgen Klopp, but that is where Klopp does great on me a little bit. He loves doing these... Oh, actually, uh, I wouldn't give it to Van Dijk, who scored two goals and was excellent right. again. I'd give it to Adrian because he made a couple of good sets. And you think... Well, no, Virgil van Dijk was better, not Adrian. Right. You're just saying uh, it just grates on me a, a little bit. It's a bit like when uh, a Guardiola team loses and he's like, it was our best performance of the season. Yeah, exactly <laughs> that. Yeah. It wasn't really, though. People was it? are just deliberately contrary, Michael. I'm glad I we... know, it's annoying, isn't it, James? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, van Dijk had a hot head. Could we say that? Fantastic, no? Yes. No, I don't, I don't think hot head works, does no, it? Because no, it has to be literal again. Well, because that's a metaphor that. That implies he was like sent off or something. Right, that's true. All right, but anyway, he was on fire. <laughs> he was literally on fire. You're right. Literally on fire, as was Trent's foot, whizzing in those beautiful crosses. Oh, Martin uh, Tyler. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, so that was all great, fantastic. Just, uh, just a word on Van Dijk, if we could, because it, it yeah. sounds like he's not going to win the Ballon d'Or. He's going to finish what? second, which I think is. This is taking place this evening, isn't it? Yeah. Monday which I think night. is right. I mean, Messi is the best player in the world, and he should win the award. But you saw Messi's goal. Sunday I did. Night. That was he scored that goal so many yeah. times. Well, apparently they call it the Messi penalty in uh, in Spain. Really? Yeah. Don't really like that, but that's fine. Um, but regardless of him not winning the Ballon d'Or, when was the last time a centre-back was this highly rated as Van Dijk? I mean, he has got he really has got everything, hasn't he? He's so good on the ball, good in the air. I think we're going back 15 years or well, so. Well, Cannavaro Can- won it in 2006. But that's because... And he was excellent, but that was partly because of, obviously, Italy winning the World yeah, Cup. Yeah, I mean, it was entirely, it? I think. Yeah. 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 Because he'd actually... He moved to Real Madrid that year and had a quite a dodgy start. Right. So it was like, you know, we'll give it to the World Cup winning yeah. captain because yeah, yeah, it wasn't an outstanding candidate. I think Henri probably should have won it that year personally. But Ooh. this time it's like Van Dijk's just, you know, almost on, on, what's the word? Not unstoppable, but you just, you know, you can't get past him. There was that stat, no one had dribbled past him for 30 games or something. So, right, until he took on the Napoli. Yes, exactly. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, yeah, and he is, he is the absolute complete defender. You know, he is... Calm on the ball, but authorities. He is tall, but he's pacey. He, you know, he can play out from the back. He can score goals. He is everything, and it just shows now. It's happened a few times re- over the last few years, but the ast- astronomical fees that get laughed at by rival supporters. Right. Um, it looks. It looks an absolute bargain. Now. Right. It really oh, does. And also, the amount of time they waited for him was uh, was was well worth it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, he is. He is the difference maker. He's the reason they won the Champions League last season, and he will be the reason they win the Premier League this season. I think. Right, and could be the reason they get the three points on Wednesday. Have you, in any way, <laughs> revised your your optimism from uh, Everton's point of view? Emma? No, I'm I'm sticking by Good it. For you. All right. Just it's on a rare smart. occasion you'll hear me stick up for Everton, but no, no on this on this occasion I think I will. She's just, just my neck true. Charming Marco Silva. She loves yeah, Marco you're Silva. just so scared of Marco Silva getting fired and becoming available again. Well, <laughs> there is that, there is that. But, you know, and people always say, don't they, Liverpool stumbled through th- so many games. Mm. If that is the case, 
there's going to be a banana skin there mm. sooner or later. So is true. it is it going to be midweek? And it's a derby. Anything can there happen. There we go. All right. Oh, we haven't talked about Leicester yet. Obviously, 2-1 win over Everton. I thought they were really impressive. They went 1-0 down. And I must say, even though it was a very late win, throughout the game at 1-0 down, at 1-0, I just expected them to win. They, they've got so much attacking threat from so many sources. I think the interesting thing here was both Madison and Tielemans, I thought, were slightly off their game. And they managed to get around that. And they've just got so many players who can basically create things. I mean, the two goals came from a, a dribble from Ndidi. He's not in the side to dribble. And a dribble from Pereira, who's the most dribbly right back I think I've ever seen, always playing one-twos. And Rodgers as well changed system at the end when the ball went up and, and Iheanacho was coming on almost to play on the right. I thought that's a strange move. But he rejigged the system a bit, kind of moved to three at the back with Chilwell tucking in. And I thought Vardy and Iheanacho kind of really adjusted to playing as a two. Vardy mm. was always pulling off to the left, Iheanacho in the right. And of course he... You know, Ian actually, who's come out from the shadows, really, I mean, had a difficult time at Leicester, I think got his squad number taken away from him and had to move to a kind of different number and wasn't really getting chances. I think, you know, Damari Gray, if he'd been fit, he would have come on instead of Ian Acho, but one assist and one goal, really well taken finish as well. Mm. So that's kind of, uh, that maybe answers the question of what Leicester's plan B will be for the rest of the season, because they've got, they've almost start with such an attack-minded side that you think, well, how can you go more attacking here? But bringing on an extra centre-forward does the job nicely. Right. There's also the video of the Leicester change room after the game in which Iheanacho was being kind of almost carried on shoulders as he entered the room and clearly felt special. Michael's right, that was the only lingering question is whether they had a a plan B in attack because Iheanacho had been so off-colour. But, yeah, he's... If they get that right they can creep up on the outside because even though they're second in the league, mm-hmm. I still consider Manchester City more likely to win the Premier League than them and yet they're three points clear and they're winning games that they shouldn't necessarily win. Three points clear? They haven't gone to Europe? Yeah, they've also got Liverpool at home on Boxing Day, well, which is an ex- a huge game now. And it's going to be a Liverpool side that's just returning from uh, from Qatar. Exactly right. And the Club World Cup, depending which of their teams they send to mm. that one or which one they keep back for the League Cup, I'm not sure if they decided either way yet. And also, I mean, we're getting slightly carried away with them winning the title. I don't think that's realistic, despite the fact they're second in the league. But in the summer, they were available at 25 to 1 to right. finish in the top four. Mm. In the top four. And they're now 12 points clear of fifth place. Good Lord. I mean, that was their objective mm. for the season, and it would be remarkable if they don't finish in the top four. So Rogers really has done a fantastic the, job. I mean, if, if Emma's prediction proves right and Liverpool drop points, two or maybe even three points, <laughs> it's a derby, anything can happen. <laughs> the, the only... They could be going into that Boxing Day clash. <laughs> top of the league, that was saying. Well, maybe. The only fly in the ointment, it should be said, is that Brendan Rogers was asked in the press conference about links with Arsenal uh, yesterday. And... <laughs> Maybe it's just typical Rogers, but he, he didn't do much to deflect them. He talked about clauses in his contract mm. and that sort of thing, which is why would you why would you leave Leicester for Arsenal? Well, I I I don't know, but I suspect that Rogers has always had a plan to get to a, a, a top four or a big six club. And I suspect well, is that one. We yes, he's not at a big six. I think he probably wanted to get to one of those established elite, and I think he realised that he was unlikely to be able to go direct from Celtic to them and therefore Leicester was a perfect job he could take. I don't think he expected to go this well and I think he would be stupid to leave this now. Right. It's but not like if, he's got a track record of walking out on indeed. title teams with title ambitions but halfway through. If he could if he could negotiate with Arsenal and say, look, stick with Lundberg till the end of the season and then let this play out at Leicester and see what happens. Right. I think that probably would suit Arsenal pretty well. It's whether is whether Leicester are a bigger club than Arsenal now, and I think that mm. is genuinely open to interpretation. And equally, if he if he does do that, how much then that might seep into the, the way the team was performing. But if they're chasing the title, as I think they've shown before now... And there's also a funny thing where there's been a couple of almost hints in questions to Rodgers being like, well, Liverpool are a long way clear, but they've, they've collapsed before. <laughs> it's like, well, <laughs> yeah, that Rodgers was there. <laughs> yeah. Very nice. Well, those midweek fixtures are the subject of a bit of chat now between producer Ben and our friends at Paddy Power with all the latest odds. Thank you very much, Jimbo. It's that time of the show, listeners, that you love even more than I do. It's Lee Price from Paddy Power time. Lee, full midweek coming up. So let's start with the Merseyside derby. What are the markets on this one, please? Well, no matter what happens in this game, really, Ben, you'd have to back Liverpool to win, whether they're in bad form, as they have been recently, or a man down, as they were last time out. They cannot contrive to lose a game, in the Premier League at least. And we don't expect them to here. Make them the huge one-to-three favourites for the midweek Merseyside derby. 
Everton in all sorts of trouble. They're 15 to 2 to get a huge win here, or 7 to 2 to get a draw. We also have Man U versus Spurs. What's going to happen here? I guess you could say the Jose Mourinho derby, although to me at least it's weird that he was and is manager of either of these teams. Very tight, but Jose's men are the favourites here. He'll like that. They're 6-4 to four Tottenham to get the win at Old Trafford. The hosts, not in good form, are 13-8. to eight. That's a long old price for at home to get the win. The draw is 23-10. to 10. And finally, for all those Burnley fans listening, what are the odds, please, that they can beat Man City? <laughs> Far from it for me to question Pep Guardiola, but Man City haven't been at it for weeks and weeks. And yet, our traders still make them 1-5 to five to win this game. I mean, yes, they probably will win the game, but 1-5 to five seems crazy short to me. It's a shame Burnley weren't better at last time out, otherwise I might be tempted by this price. They're 11-1 to one to get the win at Turf Moor. The draw's still pretty long, 5-1. to one. We're still hot on City. I'm not sure we should be. You can find out those odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply and when the fun stops, stop. Midweek round is an exciting round because it witnesses the... The entry of a new broadcasting partner for the Premier League, uh, Amazon, and also a, a kind of weird staggered kickoff time. There's a 7.30 game and an 8.15 game. The, the, the weird bit about this is that you don't have time to watch all of one before the other one starts. Actually, uh, that can work quite well, though, Jimbo, because okay. on the Wednesday, yeah. as a Watford fan, I will watch the first 45 of our trip to Leicester City. Which will be more than and enough. And it could thought? be enough, exactly. <laughs> and at that point, I'd be intrigued to see if Everton can pick apart Liverpool. Right. And at you'd... which point I was switching over at 8.15 to watch the game at Anfield. And you'd rather only have to watch 45 minutes of Watford there than the whole thing. Okay, interesting. Well, as I say, it's a new dawn and a very exciting one. So it's, it's a new dawn with Robbie Savage and Tim Sherwood as the presenter of the pundits on the gold shirt. Do you know, funnily enough, um, I did a show with the pair of them just the other day. It was me, Raphael Honigstein, Tim Sherwood and Robbie Savage previewing not this last weekend, the weekend before over at Premier League TV. Wow. So it's clearly, you know, someone was watching when... They picked the two out. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> those are the two guys we need for our coverage. <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, so now, oh, Emma, you're really keen to talk about something, so let's do that. It wasn't all bad news for Watford fans this weekend, was it? My weekend started really well, actually. Uh, So at lunchtime, I was at Griffin Park to watch Brentford absolutely tear apart Luton. But the the way you beat Brentford is to knock them around a little bit. And they gave them so much space on the ball. It was bizarre. It was like watching a team that had already been relegated with a month and a half to go. But it's December and they've still got loads to fight for. Wow. So, so 7-0. One of the biggest concerns, yeah, about being a Watford fan that could be faced with the prospect of the Championship is a fixture with Luton next year. But I have to say, after watching that, I'd be shocked if they are still in that league. Wow. Yeah, they got absolutely torn That's apart. Sure. Right, OK. Uh, Josh De Silva getting a hat-trick in mm. that in that Brentford win, wasn't the fastest hat-trick of the weekend in the Championship. George Pushkus got three and five minutes for Reading at Wigan. Mm. Anyway, you can hear more about all of that kind of thing in the Totally Football League show on Wednesday, in which they'll also be discussing Wayne Rooney's first appearance in the Derby dugout. How did Forrest do, Daniel? Lost the home to Cardiff, we won't talk about that. All right then, Daniel, in that case, let's have the quiz. Do you remember... We were talking about the 10 teams that have had three full-time managers in one season, nine of whom were relegated. We're not including caretakers, so West Brom 2017, who went Pulis, Pardew, and then Darren Moore. We don't count that. Right. So I'll give you the teams. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's fair, isn't it? And you try and get the three managers involved. Okay, let's start with an easy one. Fulham last season. Slav. Scott E. Parker. Correct. And Ranieri. Ranieri. Villa, 2015-16. Lambert. No. Sherwood. Yes. Remy Gard. Yes. And you won't get this. You will not get this. uh, Oh, Scott. He's not going to get it. Don't know. Eric Black. Oh, yeah. Eric Black. Back to Black. Who was Eric Black? He was the assistant manager. Yeah. um, So who stepped up. And what happened to him after that? Uh, it didn't go very well and he lost it. I'm not sure if he wasn't a caretaker, actually, but anyway, okay. carry on. For All right, okay. Uh, yeah, thanks. <laughs> Newcastle in 08 09. Uh, so Shearer to finish. Yes. Kinnear. Keegan. Yep. And Keegan, yes. Mm, yeah. 
Uh, Charlton and 0607. Dowie. Yes. yes. Reed. Yes. Pardew? It was Alan Pardew. Uh, Saints, uh, 20, 2004 5. Sturrock. Hmm. Yep. Dave Jones? Nope. Gordon Strachan? <laughs> nope. It has to be Redknapp. Yes, at the end of the season. Somebody between Paul Sturrock and Harry. Oh, um, Steve Wigley? That is correct. Wow. Daniel. Mm. He's getting a little bit more difficult now. Sunderland, 2002-03. Oh, so McCarthy? Yes, to finish. Howard Wilkinson? Yes. Yes. And who started the season? Peter Reid? Yes. Very good. Uh, Two more to go, and then there's a bit of controversy coming up. Oh, God. Uh, Leicester in 01-02. Bassett? It was in the middle. Evans? No. Peter Taylor? Correct. Yes. And the season finished with, I'll tell you, it was Mickey Adams. And finally from this list, Crystal Palace, 97-98. Steve Coppel? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Italia Lombardo? Correct. In, tam- in tandem with? Thomas Prolin. Correct. <laughs> yeah. And then, who finished off? Steve Coppel? No, Ray, Ray Lurrington. Uh, I wouldn't have got that. Now, I mentioned controversy because... There's also Portsmouth in 2008-2009, which Michael was... Paul Hart. Uh, yeah, come on, who, who, Portsmouth, who's going to be the first one? Who have you Harry Redknapp. Yes. And then in the middle? Uh, there's Lack. No, Where's Tony West Adams. Coast? Tony Adams, yes. Oh. But they finished 14th. So when we said before, I mean, it wasn't that big a deal, but I said <laughs> only one once in 10 times as a manager had that many... As a club had that many managers and stayed up, it's actually two times. Well, we might have another one to add to the list. Right. As Watford may well now have four managers in a season. Hayden Mullins, whilst we've been put on air, has been put in charge of Watford for Wednesday night's trip to Leicester. Wow. But will he be a caretaker or is he full-time? Yeah, I think, think probably caretaker, yeah, caretaker. technically caretaker. How do you, and just a quick well, hot He's been in charge of the 23s. Right. Um, who have done very, very well this season for okay. Watford. Um, there's a YouTube video on uh, the club's channel where they've mic'd him up for a game that's very interesting to watch. He's very good with young players. Uh-huh. You know, we were talking about the, the bounce you get with managers when they bring in someone that does everything the previous coach didn't do. So I think the fans will be quite enticed by that and the prospect of having someone uh, at the helm for now who's good at bringing younger players through. But who knows if they pluck a result there? Mm. Then, exactly. Um, could be the start of something really special. Could be. Brilliant. All right, well, uh, we'll be back on Thursday to round up all of that midweek news and any other uh, sideline casualties that they bring. Of course, before that, on Tuesday, James Horncastle, Raphael Hollingstein, Julian Laurent and Alvaro Romeo will be with us as we round up all the latest news from uh, the continent, including the draw for Euro 2020, which is uh, pretty interesting for France and Germany and Portugal, particularly. Yikes. Uh, anyway, that's it for this show, though. So many thanks to Emma Saunders for making it in. Thank you. Best of luck. Thank you. With your new direction. <laughs> and to Daniel Story. Thank you. And to Michael Cox. Thanks. All three available in a variety of other podcast formats, so seek them out. Listen, thanks for being with us. We'll catch up with you soon. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. Keep up to date with everything across our Totally Football network at The Totally Show on Twitter. And make sure you check out our brand new website too, thetotallyfootballshow.com.